Mr. and Mrs. Dursley of number four, Privet Drive, were proud to say that they were perfectly normal, thank you very much. This is the opening sentence to Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone that was released to the world on the 26th of June 1997. In the 20 years since the first Harry Potter book in the series hit the shelves, the world of children's literature has been turned upside down. The series of seven books published by Bloomsbury in the UK and Scholastic in the US delighted children and adults alike. They are now in 75 languages and have sold over 450 million copies. They cover between 3,300 and 4,100 pages, depending upon the edition that you have, and have spawned not only great films, but a global industry of add-ons. The opening sentence is beautiful in its simplicity. 22 words that very neatly lead us to what may follow, yet tell us little. It is intriguing, as is the story behind the creation of this wizarding world that we've all grown to know and love. What was behind these tales of wonder? Let's find out. I'm Leanne Walker, and this is Wonder, the show where each week I bring you tales of wonder and curiosity from across the globe about the people, places and events that shape our daily lives. So we know the book's about Harry Potter, the title tells us that. It's an ordinary name, no flamboyance, a quiet name, so no clues there about magic. The Philosopher's Stone does give us some more clues though. From the Middle Ages to the late 17th century, it was believed that the Philosopher's Stone was a substance that could turn ordinary metals such as iron, tin and lead into precious metals like gold and silver. It was also thought to act as an elixir of life, with the power to cure illness, renew the elements of youth, and for those who possess the stone, make them immortal. The Philosopher's Stone may have been red or white, colours often used in alchemy, or it might have not been a stone at all, but a powder. The exact details aren't known. In J.K. Rowling's book, it was a stone, a red stone. Over the centuries, many brilliant minds searched for the Philosopher's Stone, even Sir Isaac Newton, who was known to have had a great interest in alchemy. Long before Newton, however, there was Nicolas Flamel, a French bookseller and notary who lived in Paris during the 14th and early 15th centuries. In 1382, Flamel claimed to have transformed lead into gold after decoding an ancient book of alchemy with the help of a Spanish scholar. Whether this was true or not, Harry Potter fans might recognise the name, as J.K. Rowling incorporated Nicolas Flamel into the first book in her world-famous series. So the title tells us of an ordinary boy and a mystical stone. Interesting. The first sentence takes us, however, in a completely different direction. Mr and Mrs Dursley. This is a real surname. But the name suggests something very ordinary. Even slightly dull. Equally evocative is their address, number four, Privet Drive. Privet is an evergreen shrub, sometimes green and sometimes gold much loved in British gardens as a front hedge. It's quick growing, leafy in all seasons, and above all, it's easy to keep. Pleasant enough, conventional, but plain. Does that describe the family who lives in the house? So the name, the street name, and the dialogue 
perfectly normal, thank you very much, tells us much. They want no strange goings on here, please. Delightful. The book promises with its mystical title that Harry will be everything that the Dursleys are not. We like Harry before the book even starts. Joanne Rowling was born on the 31st of July 1965 in Gloucestershire, the eldest daughter of Peter and Anne Rowling, and she had a younger sister, Diane. She had an idyllic childhood and enjoyed school. She had always wanted to write, and indeed wrote her first book called Rabbit, about, not surprisingly, a rabbit, when she was six. When she was 11, she wrote a book about seven cursed diamonds and the people who owned them. She went to secondary school at Wydean, and it was there that she met her close friend, Sean Harris, who owned the original Ford Anglia and to whom the Chamber of Secrets is dedicated. Those years were some of her happiest memories as a teenager, whizzing around the country roads with Sean. She spoke often of her ambition to be a writer, and he believed wholeheartedly she would be a success. This meant a great deal to her, and how right he was too. After university in Exeter, Jo worked in London. In 1990, she decided to move with her then-boyfriend to Manchester. One weekend after flat hunting, she was travelling back to London, and the train was delayed. For four hours, she sat with her notebook and pen, and Harry came fully formed into her mind. The small, dark-haired, bespeckled boy, who didn't know he was a wizard, became more and more real to her. So from that day, she held on to her ideas, adding to them as she went along. Sadly, in December 1990, Jo's beloved mother passed away from multiple sclerosis, a disease that she'd contracted when Jo was just 15. About nine months later, with the need to get away from London, Jo decided to take up a post in Portugal teaching English. Here she met and married a Portuguese man and her daughter Jessica was born. The marriage didn't survive and in 1994 Jo arrived back in the UK with her daughter. Now a single mother, penniless and without prospects, she chose to move to Edinburgh where her sister was living and took a very small flat, living off the money she was given by the government as a single parent. She knew that the manuscript that she'd now been working on for almost five years would have to be finished And so when Jessica slept, Jo wrote. In cafes during the day and in the flat at night. She typed the manuscript herself on an old typewriter and got the first three chapters finished. She sent these off to a literary agent who immediately sent them back. Undeterred, Jo sent them to a second agent, Christopher Little, who sent Jo a letter containing just two sentences asking to see the whole manuscript. She was over the moon. Jo then took up a teaching post so that she had an income and could look after her daughter well, whilst continuing to hope that her agent would have success and her book would be taken up by a publisher. It took a year and many rejections before Bloomsbury Publishing made Jo an offer to publish her book. They made her an offer of £1,500 for the first book, about $1,900. It felt like a fortune, and indeed it was to her. From that day, in August 1996, Jill Rowling's life changed forever. Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone was published on the 26th of June 1997 by Bloomsbury Publishing. Its initial print run was 500 copies, 
of which the majority were intended for school libraries. They are children's books written by a parent and intended to be read by children. Such was the interest in the books, however, that later editions were published with more grown-up covers, so that adults could read them without having to hide the covers. The first book was published in the US by Scholastic Publishing on the 1st of September 1998, under the name Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. The name change was because the publisher felt that the US audience would be unlikely to buy the book with the word philosopher in the title. Joel Rowling agreed to the name change and suggested Sorcerer, but she always regretted that decision, which is why later books and the films remain unchanged. Joel received an advance of $105,000 for the US version, showing the interest that the book had received since first launching in the UK and the expectation for the future books. The final Harry Potter book, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, was published by Bloomsbury on 21st of July 2007, ten years after the publication of the first book. Such was the anticipation that apparently Bloomsbury spent £10 million trying to keep the book secret until publication. With the Harry Potter seven book series, Jill Rowling brought joy, excitement and imagination to millions of children. Children who had never really been readers became so, and the books changed the course of children's literature. We owe Jill Rowling a great debt of gratitude. The Harry Potter franchise is now vast, with books, movies, memorabilia, plays, theme parks and more. All of this, of course, has made Joanne Rowling a very wealthy woman, and rightly so. She's a very private person and values her privacy and that of her family above all else. She believes strongly in giving back and has always been grateful for the help she received when she first arrived back in Edinburgh in 1994, penniless and a single mum. Her philanthropy is significant. She's deeply involved with charities at home and across the globe. For more information on that, you can visit her website at jkrowling.com. In 2008, J.K. Rowling was asked to give the commencement speech at Harvard University, and it's now one of their most viewed speeches. I'll have a link to the incredibly inspiring speech in the show notes. Jill Rowling chose to frame her speech around the benefits of failure and the importance of imagination, two things very close to her own heart. In it, she said, quote, a mere seven years after my graduation day, I had failed on an epic scale. An exceptionally short-lived marriage had imploded, and I was jobless, a lone parent, and as poor as it could possibly be in modern Britain, without being homeless. I was the biggest failure I knew. So why the benefits of failure? Simply because failure meant a stripping away of the inessential. I stopped pretending to myself that I was anything other than what I was and began to direct all my energy into finishing the only work that mattered to me. Had I really succeeded at anything else, I might never have found the determination to succeed in the one arena I believed I truly belonged. I was set free because my greatest fear had been realised. I was still alive and I still had a daughter whom I adored and I had an old typewriter and a big idea. 
And so rock bottom became the solid foundation on which I rebuilt my life. Equally, she spoke of the importance of imagination as, quote, Imagination is not only the uniquely human capacity to envision that which is not, and therefore the fount of all invention and innovation. In its arguably most transformative and revelatory capacity, it is the power that enables us to empathise with humans whose experiences we have never shared. So, if it were not for that day in 1990, when Joanne Rowling was stuck on a train and Harry came to her fully formed in her mind, we would not now have these wonderful treasures that will bring joy to so many across the world. They will endure, and many new generations will experience the delights of Hogwarts and its magical creatures. And so, mere muggles, I say to you, what's your one thing you'll do today, in your way, to change the world? Because one day really does change everything. Whatever you do, I hope you have a very good day, and I leave you with the parting words of Joanne Rowling from 2008. We do not need magic to change the world. We carry all the power we need inside ourselves already. We have the power to imagine better. All is well. Until next time. That's it for today's show. Thanks for listening. For more information, please visit the website at injustonedaycom forward slash wonder, where you'll find show notes, links and sources. I've also put together a PDF about today's topic. And if you want to get that, just head on over to injustonedaycom forward slash the boy wonder. Keep in touch via Facebook at injustoneday, Twitter, one day two, or email us at hello at injustoneday.com. But until next time, have a great day.